Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome, friends, to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host today, Stephanie Smith, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us. Um, perhaps you have recently heard about the revival that's been going on at Asbury University in Kentucky. Um, it's kind of made national news because it was apparently started by students and not something the administration tried to um, force or schedule. But the students there have had a non-stop meeting since a chapel service on Wednesday, February 8th, until just this Sunday evening a few days ago, February 19th. Many people felt compelled to come and see for themselves what was going on, and many people felt compelled to pass judgment on whether this was a real revival or not, even if they weren't there which is always an interesting phenomenon of we humans. (laughs) But according to reports of those who are there or have been there, the services are mostly quote-unquote worship, which of course in today's lingo, that means music. There has been some prayer and confession in reports, and students are speaking of a prevailing sense of peace. Um, Now, after I wrote most of this podcast script, I did hear of one account that said there was preaching and testimonies were given throughout the services. I had never actually heard of Asbury University, so I looked it up, and from their own website, they say, Asbury University is a private Christian university in Wilmore, Kentucky. Although it is a non-denominational school, the college is aligned with the Wesleyan holiness movement. Now that gave me a little bit of pause because my great-great-grandmother supposedly experienced a call to the mission field during a holiness, and I say that as a denomination, not just the word holiness that we know in our um, personal lives, but so she supposedly experienced a call to the mission field during a holiness revival service. And I'm told by those who were there and who remember it that she changed her style of dress and wore only high collared blouses and floor length skirts in the color black for the rest of her life. She gave up the luxury of jewelry and she chose to wear her hair in a very stern looking tight bun. Of course, she did not wear makeup, which wasn't all that unusual for her time period. She did believe in healing, although the accounts that she records in her journal were just a little dubious, such as, we prayed over Mr. So-and-so, I don't know his name, who had stomach pain, and the following morning the pain was gone. Well, who knows whether Mr. So-and-so's ailment was something serious or just a case of indigestion, but the real kicker as to the type of quote-unquote revival she claimed to experience was revealed through her marriage. She actually divorced my great-grandfather in order to move to Cuba to accomplish the mission to which she felt called. And this was a day when divorce was not at all accepted, 
Not that that makes it right. Of course, we know we follow the standard of God. But in that time period, for her to do such a thing in the name of God was extremely unheard of. Her actions and her choices reverberated for four generations. And that's how long it was before any of her descendants, her children or grandchildren, ever came back to the Lord and the truth of the gospel. So in the name of mission work and salvation, she really caused generations of people to be lost and eternally condemned to hell. And that, of course, is really sad. (laughs) Just breaks my heart to think through it. On the other hand, it also reveals God's grace in my life and in my children's lives. And that is such a refreshing thing to me. So, but what is a true revival? Um, That's the question we're asking today as that um, nationally recognized revival of the last couple weeks is in the spotlight of attention. Perhaps you grew up in a church like I did that had regular revival meetings every spring or maybe it was fall, maybe twice a year, our pastor would invite in a guest preacher and we would have services every evening for a whole week. And the preacher would give sermons on the gospel and the call to salvation, as well as preaching against specific sins, which he felt dominated our world and our church. And inevitably, the last night of the revival week would be focused on recommitting our lives to Christ. In other words, he begged us, to give fresh energy and focus to our relationship with God through obedience and service, both our private and our public lives. And this was usually a plea to live in a manner that crossed the world and its culture. For example, to give up television or to throw away rock music or commit to visitation and soul winning and so forth, things of that nature. All of those things are good and right. But is preaching on those or even making a decision about those, is that what true revival is? Um, So we're asking that question. What's a legitimate, what's a true revival? Many would say that that Asbury University revival most definitely was legitimate and real. Many would say that it most definitely is not. And I, I guess I think it's not really an issue that you and I must decide Unless you live really close to there in Kentucky and you're dealing with people in your church who are coming from that. But it is a good opportunity to practice biblical discernment, which is what we're all about here at Think Bible. So let's find out according to scripture, what is true, spirit-led, Christ-centered, word-connected revival? I'm going to start by reading Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people, 
and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. So again, that was Psalm 85. In my Blue Letter Bible app, the heading of this psalm is titled, Prayer for God's Mercy Upon the Nation. And of course, we know that nation means Israel. We don't know the exact time period or occasion of the psalm. It sounds like it could have been after the Babylonian exile, when the nation was returning to Israel and Jerusalem. Things there were in a sad state of disrepair, as the city had been abandoned and the land left desolate for 70 years. But Nehemiah and Ezra were sent by God to get things back in order with his help and direction. Now that psalm could have been written much earlier, say the end of Saul's reign, when parts of the land were occupied by the Philistines. While we don't know the exact cause or time for the psalm, we can recognize in it some principles and patterns that help us understand true revival. Number one, revival starts with repentance of sin. Sin is the reason we need revival in the first place. Sin separates us from God and destroys our fellowship with him. Even for believers, those who have been made alive in Christ, sin keeps us from close fellowship with our Father. Although a believer cannot lose his salvation, sin does not hurt our relationship with God, it does affect our fellowship. Our sin can cause us to be spiritually unconscious or apathetic to, the respon- to respond to the word, to obey its commands, and to enjoy communion with our Savior. So a revival, a revival, is a spiritual re-energizing or reawakening to the truths of the word, to the truths of our relationship with the creator of the universe, and to the truth that we are responsible to obey him. At this point of Psalm 85, God had brought judgment upon the nation of Israel and individuals within the nation. They had been punished and chastened for their sin, and verse 2 reveals that repentance had been offered by the people. How do we know that? Well, it says that God had forgiven the iniquity of his people. And we know what 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God puts his finger on our sin and brings conviction, we must repent. If it takes chastening and judgment to bring about that confession, then he will bring chastening and judgment. But once we recognize our sin, that's the only way forward with God is to confess. And once we make that true confession, that real turning away from our sin and pivoting back toward God, he restores our relationship with him, our fellowship with him completely. And that restoration is revival. 
Verse 6 of Psalm 85 is the psalmist's actual prayer for revival. It says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Another mark of true revival is this rejoicing. Several years ago, I did a study on the theme of joy and rejoicing in the scripture. Far and above all reasons for true spiritual rejoicing is God's salvation and restoration of his own people. When sinners come to God in repentance, whether it be for the first time for their soul's salvation, or the one thousandth time for forgiveness of sin and restoration to fellowship with God, it is a cause for great rejoicing. There will be emotion and feeling that accompanies a true spirit of revival, but emotion will not be the primary focus. It is the result of a heart change, not the revival itself. So what are the results of revival, of true repentance for sin, and rejoicing in the victory that is ours through Christ? Well, the rest of Psalm 85 gives us several more of these. Verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. And the end of verse 10 says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness can only ever come to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And without that relationship, mankind is destined to seek in vain for true peace. But real, lasting peace is a fruit of revival. When we confess our sin, God grants that forgiveness, and our standing with Him is always secure. We have peace in our heart because we know No man can pluck us out of God's hand, and that includes ourselves. We are not transgressing his commands or offending his holiness in any way. The right relationship with God always brings peace to our souls. The end of verse 8 says, Let them not turn again to folly. There is a settledness, a commitment to our newfound direction in life. God's forgiveness is not a toy that we are to play with, sinning at will and demanding that he keep his promises to forgive us each time. Living that way would be immature and selfish. As Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, one who has experienced true revival will make the commitment to follow God and stick with it. Then verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. This speaks of the holiness that results from true revival. Yes, God has extended great mercy to forgive our sins and restore us to himself, but he is going to hold us to his standard of truth. He will not just excuse our sins and sweep them under the rug, but he actually is working to transform us into the image of his Son, that we might be an accurate representation of him to the world. Where do we find the example of Jesus? Where do we learn the truth that God wants us to internalize and obey? Of course, it's in his word. Someone who has experienced true revival will be hungry and thirsty for the word of God. Verses 11 and 12 state, Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. 
Yes, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. The general revelation of truth is another fruit of revival. Obviously, I was not alive to witness any of the great revivals of the past, but their effects have been felt for generations because of this very principle. When Charles Finney preached and souls were converted, the culture shifted. The abolitionist movement was advanced and many lives were spared the dreadful effects of alcohol. The same thing happened years later under the preaching of Billy Sunday. When individuals are saved and walking with God, learning to obey Him and how to please Him, the culture and the world at large will benefit as well. Christian morals and principles lead to blessing and prosperity, actually at a national level, not just a personal level, because we are aligning ourselves with God Himself, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Provider, our King, since he is the one who created the earth and how everything in it works, then he will know how to teach us, and following his ways is the best course for everyone. Now, changing to another passage of scripture, Isaiah 57:15 also teaches us about revival. Here's what it says. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Through this verse, we can see a little bit more about the connection between repentance and revival. Although the verse does not specifically use the word for repent, it shows us two important characteristics of those who do receive revival. Those who demonstrate humble and contrite hearts. God always responds with mercy and grace to those who humble themselves before him. Even the wicked king Manasseh, the most wicked king of all Judah, who humbled himself after his kingdom was defeated by Babylon, was granted mercy and the restoration of his kingdom. You can find that account in Second Chronicles 33. Also, James 4, 6 tells us, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And 1 Peter 5, 5 reiterates that statement. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, one who is contrite has a crushed heart. The word contrite in scripture describes something that has been turned to dust or powder, something crushed and pulverized. If you've ever been convicted of sin, you'll recognize that experience. God, through his word and the Holy Spirit, directs your attention to your pride, your insolence, your wicked heart. And then he shows you what he has done to pay the penalty for that sin. It's like you can just hardly believe all that God has done for you. You feel so low, so guilty, so ashamed, and yet so grateful and overflowing with God's goodness to you in spite of your wickedness. It's an experience that is hard to describe, but it is a matter of having your own will crushed and broken 
as you recognize that God's plan for your life is so much better. Isaiah 66, 2 describes the man that is pleased, I'm sorry, the man that God is pleased to bless as the one who trembles at his word. And Psalm 147, 3 tells us that he heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. When we come to this place of contrition and humility, God does not just stomp on us and grind us into the earth as we actually deserve, but rather, once we have been broken of relying upon our own will and desires, then he can take us and heal us and use us for his good pleasure. Another aspect of that verse in Isaiah 57 um, is that the goal and reward of revival is actually the presence of the Lord himself. Remember it says, I dwell in the high and holy place and with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Imagine that. The God who dwells in eternity, seated in the heavens, the one who sustains all of life and the universe just with the power of his word, chooses to dwell with us miserable, wretched sinners that we are. There's no reason that God would do such a thing except for his great love for us. When we experience true revival, we're not after theatrics or emotions or attention. We're after a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, who will then produce in us the fruit of righteousness. Now, we've alluded to this next point repeatedly throughout the podcast because it's really of utmost importance. It's the foundation. But true revival is always based on the word of God. This may seem obvious, but when you're caught up in the emotion of a service, we need to stop and examine the message we're hearing. Anything that contradicts God's word is not from God. Psalm 119 is full of this principle. Each time the word live or quicken is used in the following verses, it's the same root word as revive or live again. Listen to this list. Verse 17, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Verse 25, my coal, I'm sorry, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Verse 37, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Verse 77. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Verse 88, quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Verse 107, I am afflicted very much, quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Verse 116, uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. And verse 144, 
the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. God's word teaches us how to have spiritual, eternal, abundant life. Let us never think that we can find that apart from the Bible. Now, one last passage that has important truths about revival comes from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the needy. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Of course, this is another Old Testament passage, but we know that this prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled by Jews Jesus in Luke 4:18. So revival is actually a renewal of our relationship with the life of Christ and obedience to his commands. What if I were to read that verse putting Jesus in each place where he fulfilled um, part of the prophecy? The spirit of the Lord God is upon Jesus because the Lord anointed Jesus to preach good tidings unto the needy. And he sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus came to comfort those that mourn. Jesus came to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now it changes that they, not Jesus there, but you and I might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, God, might be glorified. A true revival is not a social justice movement. It is not done for show or attention. It is not looking for a new revelation that allows us to make up our own rules for living. It is only ever about deepening our walk with God. Therefore, true revival is always followed by spiritual fruit. That is how we can firmly know if a revival is real or not. God wants his followers to be a flourishing, strong tree as opposed to the dried up tumbleweed. You may remember that podcast episode with Mrs. Miriam Marriott just a few weeks ago. But if the ones who have experienced revival do not produce lasting fruit, then we may know that what they have dubbed revival was merely an emotional experience and was likely not grounded in the word of God, was not marked by humility of heart or any of the other conditions we've just talked about. Lastly, true revival, like everything else in our lives, is done for the glory of God. If man is exalted, if a church gains a thousand uncommitted members, if a college gains international attention, if a new song shoots to the top of the charts, or anything else that humanly might look good, 
but God is not glorified, then true revival has not occurred. Remember it says in in the last verse that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Well, I pray that these observations might be a help to you in your personal life. Just as a review, allow me to repeat the marks of true revival that we've discussed today. True revival is marked by repentance, rejoicing, peace, commitment, holiness, truth from the word of God, the presence of the Lord. It's based upon the gospel and it's followed by spiritual fruit, all for the glory of God. Now, the few verses that I've used today are by no means exhaustive on the topic of revival. The scripture refers to it and helps us understand it in many places. If you'd like to do further study, consider starting with these. Deuteronomy 4, 23-40 Deuteronomy 30, 1-6 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7, especially verse 14 2 Chronicles 33 Lamentations 3 Proverbs 28, 13, and Isaiah 55, 6, and 7. As I've already said, I was not present at the Asbury Revival to deem whether or not it was true. Time will tell, though. I think that you and I, I ought to be more concerned with the state of our own hearts and our own relationship with the Lord than what happened at a small college in Kentucky over the last couple of weeks. Do you need revival? Are any of these conditions that we've talked about absent in your life? Trust me, I'm doing some soul searching too. Let's ask God to bring revival and let it start with me. You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.